Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Palast Gildember the 24th. My name is Adam and today I'm giving you my review, my spoiler review, of Dragon Day by Stan Brown. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Stan Brown, he has written an insane amount of gaming support materials for um, first edition, second edition, uh, Saga, all of the Saga system, um, third edition, uh, Dungeons and Dragons materials. I mean, he's been in Dragonlance um, almost from the beginning. And so uh, to see his name pop up on this book when I first picked it up, I was pretty excited because I know that this person knows what Dragonlance is. Now, he may differ from what Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman think Dragonlance is. And let's be fair, almost every author who has ever written for Dragonlance does differ from what they say and you know the way they approach it. It's just always a little bit off. But this was, uh, this was a good sign, so I was pretty excited to see it. Anyway, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know how it pans out, don't watch a spoiler review video. <laughs> Certainly not from me, because I will tell you everything. Everything, I can't help it. <laughs> All right, anyway, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate link. Uh, Zach Arrakis, Stinky. <laughs> that name. Thanks for joining live. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see y'all. Uh, what's up, Michael? Good to see you. Okay. So the way these reviews work, if this just happens to be your first one, you're just stepping into the room and, and you see me like ranting and raving about a book, I give you my pre-written review, which is basically a synopsis slash review of the actual novel. And then afterward, we'll riff a little bit. If you guys have any questions or comments, if you happen to be joining us live, put them up in the chat and uh, we'll just sort of bounce off, you know, each other and talk Dragonlance for a little bit. I got some other stuff I got to do today, but, you know, for the time I'm here, let's uh, make the most of it, right? So, Minister Mundane, how you doing? Just going well over here. Okay. I just went and got a haircut today. There's only one person I ever trust to cut my hair because she knows how to do a fade properly. And you wouldn't think that that would be a challenging thing on a white dude, but fades are insanely difficult for people to pull off, apparently. And because, like, from everyone I've ever gone to, only this one hairstylist can do it. She is amazing. So, anyway, if you're in Salt Lake City, Utah, hit me up and I'll let you know who it is. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining live. Okay, here we go. We begin this story with a young man named Aiden, who is being bullied by three brothers and their father from the town of Tidesafe. Apparently, it's a town full of God-hating magic users. They all claim that the moons never deserted them in the Cataclysm, and this boy, Aiden, is a cleric of Paladine. They believe Paladine is the worst of all the gods, and that if he ever existed, he is a horrible god. So they must destroy his worshiper. Now, this is a strange notion in a post-War of the Lance era, but okay. So they run him out of town and chase him up the coast as he evades them. Then we cut to Davin and Catriona arguing. Uh, they are upset that they lost against Esvoria, and as far as they know, Elidor is dead and Niara is lost. They have no idea what to do except deliver Elidor's possessions to his parents in southern Aragoth. So how did they get the possessions, you might ask? 
Well, it's a simple redaction of the end of the last book. That's how. They apparently stripped his corpse of everything before Maddox told them to get out and teleported Elidor and himself away, assuming that that is even still part of the narrative, because this entire book never once mentions Elidor being alive again. It's always dead. So I, I just, this entire series is so messed up. Okay. Whatever, it's a small redaction, except that this author is reinforcing the whole Sindri has no magic narrative also. So we did see him perform magic a couple books back, but okay, he's not magic anymore. Or is he? Or does he have potential of magic? They're all fighting together, and they actually start to hate each other. They arrive at a coastal town to book passage to southern Aragoth, and Davin sets it up so that Kat and Sindri go, but he leaves a goodbye letter instead of joining them. Now, the sea is raging in a storm. Sindri is blown off the deck and falls through a magical portal, hold on to your butts, into Raceland's Tower of High Sorcery in Palanthus. He finds himself in the Raceland's like seeing pool room with all of Raceland's creations all around him. And Raceland actually confronts Sindri, asking him how the hell he got in here. Then we cut to Catriona, who jumps overboard to save Sindri, even though she can't see where he is. And she naturally gets knocked unconscious and nearly drowns, but washes back up onto the shore in front of Aiden. He says that she must have been saved by the gods, and once again we see that there are zero consequences for any actions, no matter how stupid those actions may be in this series. Those heroes never get seriously wounded or die, no matter what. I am not wishing for them to die, but if you are hours offshore in a massive torrential storm, underwater, unconscious, and you survive, well, let's just say... I'm calling bullshit. Aiden is still evading the townspeople and takes them both into a cave so he can pray and regain his healing spells. So at least he follows Crin's magical laws. Uh, and that's new in this series. Everyone else is just cast through other people or cast without having learned anything or memorized anything or just spells are being thrown around with reckless abandon in this damn series. It's ridiculous. So Aiden wakes up the next morning, and as he was gathering firewood, he discovers and is accosted, he is discovered by and accosted by the Burser family of brothers and father, yet again, that just drove him out of town. Apparently, driving him out of town wasn't enough, they need to murder him. And so they chased him and, like, searched for him after they lost him overnight. All right, well, they're nothing if not consistent. So they beat him up to the on the, they beat him up until he falls onto the ground, and then Catriona wakes up and she attacks them. She ends up killing two of them, and the others run off. Aiden is immediately infatuated with Catriona, and uh, as he has had to travel to Palanthus to be ordained as a priest of Paladine officially, he's bugging Cat to protect him. For the entirety of the journey. She actually doesn't really want to go with him, but she agrees because she sees that he is in fact quite helpless. <laughs> and so she just she doesn't have anything else to do. She thinks Sindri drowned. Davin abandoned her. She's alone and she has nothing else going on. So, you know, it's either this or Netflix and chill. So she decides to do this. So she ultimately relents, and after the argument, um, they end up speaking of honor and sacrifice about how the loss of a friend may affect you later in life with time and perspective. They brought up Sturm Breitblade and Lorana Cannon as examples. 
It changes Kat's perspective on losing Sindri, Elidor, and Davin, and they march past the High Clarus Tower towards Palanthus. Sindri was immediately imprisoned by Raislin, who interrogated him about how he got into the scrying pool room. Sindri said that he cast a spell to get there, but that didn't actually happen in the novel, so I'm really confused as to whether Sindri does or does not have any magic at this point, and how Sindri can actually cast a teleport spell while he's in a torrential storm being blown off the deck, falling into the water, but he still can concentrate to cast a teleport spell into Raceland's tower in Valancis, the most protected tower of high sorcery other than Wayrith, full stop. But Sindri can do it without any training, without any actual spell casting. Come on, people! I was so excited when I saw Stan Brown's name, and after reading it for just a little bit, already I'm enraged. So, Raceland conducts some tests on Sindri and comes to the conclusion that he does have, in fact, latent magical talent that needs to be directed. And after Sindri has this meltdown about everyone telling him that he cannot be a wizard, and even Raceland said, look, you're a kender, you can't be a wizard, Raceland knows exactly what it means to be looked down upon and laughed at, so he ends up helping Sindri by enrolling him in the Wizards Academy in Palanthus. Now, Sindri joins this troop of students who clearly don't want a kender as a part of their group, just as much as the instructors don't want him there either. But they fear Raceland, so <laughs> they put up with him. Sindri actually adapts well to the school, however. Raceland threatened him to forget his kender ways and focus on his studies or else. And to Sindri's credit, he does. The other members of his troop tell him about Dragon Day, which was a coronation ceremony in Palanthus since Vinus Salamnus's time, but the priests abandoned the ritual day when, it, um, when the cataclysm struck and the gods abandoned man. So the wizards ended up picking it up on behalf of the priests in order to keep the town's morale high. Now that the gods have returned, the clerics want to take the ritual ceremony over again. The students want Sindri to sneak into a temple and take the circlet of Paladine to stop the priests from reclaiming what is now their holiday. They think that as long as the priest's circlet, which is a part of their ritual, is gone, they cannot fulfill their ritual. Makes logic if you're a stupid kid. So Sindri ends up stealing food for his troop that night rather than the circlet of Paladine, but when he returns to his room, the Temple of Paladine was in an uproar as someone had in fact stolen the circuit, circlet. The peers that were bullying Sindri said that it was in fact Sindri who stole it, and when they looked at Sindri's bed, the circlet was on it. So Catriona and Aiden arrive in Palanthus in the morning, and they were directed to the newly built Temple of Paladin as the Acolytes were freaking out about this theft. Elistan is actually in this. He approaches the group and speaks with Aiden about whether they need the circlet for the ceremony or not. Elistan offers Catriona a room for as long as she was in town. Sindri arrives to return the circlet that he, in fact, did not steal, and Tristan, one of the acolytes, blames him for the theft. Naturally, a kender comes with the object. Must be the kender. So Catriona and Sindri were uh, hugging each other because they thought each other were dead from that storm, and Cat defends Sindri to the temple, saying that if he says he didn't steal it, he didn't steal it. You ha if you trust me, you have to trust my judgment of him. Elistan leaves after falling really sick and the acolytes are all begin verbally assaulting Sindri who blows up at them all and Cat. Then the apprentices 
come in uh, from the mage school and they start this weird sort of standoff between the acolytes of the temple and the students of the wizard's academy. Aiden eventually stops the fight before it goes to blows, and his peers tell him that the only way to save the celebration was to collect an artifact from a ruined and sunken temple of the dragon. The temple of the dragon is just sort of like a, a temple that like crumbled into like this rift that opened up apparently at some point in the cataclysm. So the artifact will nullify any arcane magic in a radius of the wielder, and Cat and Aiden agree to collect it. The only problem is that the temple of the dragon is haunted. So when they arrive at the temple to find the medallion, but the medallion is pinned down under rubble and they're trying to figure out how to get it out without breaking it, ghosts appear and they're ready to attack. So we flash back to Raceland. He enters Maddox's room in his tower. So Maddox is like staying with Raceland apparently, which is weird. I just, I never, I don't know. I, I thought it was weird. So anyway, he's been staying there and uh, after returning with the Aegis, trying to put it back together. So at what point from the last book did he drop Elidor off somewhere? I don't know. He doesn't even mention it. It's just like at the end of the last book, Madoc sees Elidor breathing and teleports him away. And then the next time we see Madoc, there's no Elidor. So... Maybe he's at like a Chuck E. Cheese's or something. I don't know. Raceland tells Maddock that after he assembles the sword, the truly difficult task still lies ahead of him, but then vanishes before Maddock can figure out what he means. Maddock is bothered that he has to kowtow to Raceland Majir, but acknowledges that Raceland is in fact more powerful than him and is the master of the tower, so of course he relents. I love that we get to see familiar characters and locations finally in this series, but I am still bothered by the whole Sindri casting random magic without knowledge or training. Hopefully it clarifies everything eventually. After all, there's only two more books left in this quartet and the entire series. There's still no word of Elidor, even though the last book mentioned Maddox rescued him. And we have yet to hear from Davin, who abandoned Cat and Sindri at the docks. So the spirits in the sunken temple end up attacking Kat, and she tries to save Aiden by throwing him out of the temple area. She's beaten down by the ghosts, and Aiden returns with his holy medallion and turns the spirits away in the name of Paladin. In the name of Paladin! Get! <laughs> Something like that, anyway. I'm paraphrasing. So they leave with the symbol, and Kat realizes that she has trust issues in other people's abilities. That she decides that she's going to, in fact, work at in correcting it. Meanwhile, Sindri's classmates tell him about a cursed idol in a sea cave that could be helpful if the ma helpful if the mages try I'm sorry, if the um if the priests try to take the holiday from the mages. So Sindri agrees to go find it. He thinks it's going to be really interesting to go into this little sea cave and and discover this cursed idol never knowing what a cursed idol looks like. So he travels to find the cave. He finds it, and it's inhabited by this giant octopus-like creature. He ends up distracting the octopus and steals the idol. On Dragon Day, the two idols in close proximity end up unleashing a discord demon that makes all of the clerics and all of the mages attack each other. Now that's the discord demon like right there in the, the book right there. Um... It seems only Sindri can actually see the demon, however, and learns that the only way to banish a demon is to know its name. 
So he takes the idol to Catriona, who ends up attacking him. Sindri ends up ripping her symbol off of her and breaks it. Now, Catriona can, in fact, see the idol that Sindri has for what it is. She calls out the demon's name, which disappears like Beetlejuice. And she stabs the idol, breaking the idol. Everyone stops, and the crowd believes that they just watched some sort of weird play. So they all start cheering and clapping. Catriona and Sindri end up lecturing everyone on mistakes, forgiveness, and friendship. And the crowd cheers again. <laughs> Back at Madoc, he's still attempting to reunite the disparate pieces of the Aegis, and he should have succeeded, but for some reason it isn't working. Raceland enters again and lectures him about balance. This is the one good part of this entire series. The entire series. This is book six of the entire series so far. Is that at least they're referencing the idea of balance in Dragonlance. No matter what you like or don't like about Dragonlance, the core theme of it is balance. If good becomes too prominent, evil has to rise to, to balance it out. If evil becomes too prominent, good has to rise to balance it out. Like that's what it is all about. That's the entire campaign was built on that founding structure of the three pillars of good, neutrality, and evil. So at least they got that right. How the Aegis had broken the balance manifested in the split of the companions is the, um, uh, well, so Raceland explains that the balance is upset because the companions had split. And Madoc is looking at Raceland like, what? Are you telling me that these rando companions, adventuring companions, that I just happen to know are the reason why this sword can't be healed because they don't like each other anymore? And Raceland just looks at him, smiles, nods, and walks out. <laughs> All the stupid, stupid reasons something doesn't work. But hey. So at the moment, a Discord demon was picking up that imbalance to bring the scales back to level. So the Discord demon supposedly, according to Raceland Majir, came out of the idol and the medallion that Sindri and Catriona ca captured in order to reunite the two of them, thus restoring balance to all of Dragonlance and allowing Madoc to actually create the Aegis and reform it. Now, if that makes sense to you, you may be a crazy person. Just putting it out there. Catriona and Sindri decide to leave Palanthus, and the clerics push her to stay, uh, say goodbye to Elistan before she does. He's with the head of the mage school, and Sindri has ended up awarded the best new student award, and Catriona is rewarded with a message from Gunther Uthwistan, which forgives all past misdeeds that she had done based on Elistan's words, and she is invited to rejoin the Knights of the Rose. She was a squire. They both say that they made prior commitments to their friends, so they can't stay. So they leave to go find Maddox, uh, Davin again. As they turn around to leave, Maddox is standing at the bottom of the stairs and tells them that he rested a few days and he found his way out of the tomb. He does not mention Elidor at all, leaving them to believe that he's still dead. And then they all leave together to find Davin. So at this point, is Elidor dead? I don't know, maybe. It's like, it depends on what the next author wants to do with it. This is so willy-nilly and wonky with the facts that happen in previous books, so as to be infuriating for anyone who cares about consistency in any measure. It's ridiculous. 
So this book had some positive moments, but being the sixth novel in an eight novel series, it is too little too late. This is still wibbly wobbly magic use and a complete disregard for the other members of the group, namely Niara, Davin, and Elidor. Now, I have, in fact, ordered the next book in this series because I am clearly a masochist. But I would not ever recommend this book or this quartet or this series to anyone under any circumstances ever. It is just infuriating. Um, thanks, new guy, not Chris. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. In the last homies. <laughs> he used a waterproof spell. Maybe that's what it was, or I guess waterproof shell. Uh, Aiken wants to learn magic. Did Raceland teach magic very often? Raceland never taught anyone magic. He actually hosted apprentices in his uh, tower, and I would assume that he instructed apprentices on, you know, techniques and tactics and stuff, like Dalimar, for example. But um, he never actually taught as an instructor, as an instructor at like an official school. Those are for wizards who are barely learning the fundamentals of magic and stuff like that. So the only people that he ever might have officially instructed were apprentices who just happened to dwell in his tower. And even then, it's never explicitly stated whether he, whether he did it um, in an official capacity or just the fact that he's the master of the tower, so they just have free reign and he'll walk in and correct them like he did with Maddock here. Um, so let's see. <laughs> Love the saga game. Well, that's good. Anik is the greatest. <laughs> he's pretty good. Uh, Dragon Heart card mishap was... We had a couple of those, actually. All right. So anyway, I like, what do you guys think about this? I, I am going, there's only two books left and they don't take very long to read. So I am going to be reviewing them. It's just going to make me upset and angry, but I'm going to do it anyway, because again, apparently I'm an intellectual masochist. The completionist in you is glad that I'm getting the last two. Yeah, you know, I'm glad the completionist is you. I'm, I'm feeling bad about it. <laughs> like bad. I did just start, um, Mortensen's uh, The Command to Look, though, as a sort of intermediary as I'm waiting for the next book to come in the mail. So I'm enjoying that thoroughly. If you guys have never read it, I highly recommend it. All right, and that is, uh, that's kind of, that's it. This is a very short one. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, that's it for my review of Dragon Day by Stan Brown. What did you think about the sixth of the new adventure novels. Did you have a favorite part of the novel? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, click the like button, and ring that stupid bell. All of this goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And again, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, and I thank you for joining in the celebration. Thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjava. Means good.